I think what Jerry shared is very important, that Jesus is our peace. And I think it's, uh, how ironic is it that we are talking today about the third instance of Jesus in a boat where Jesus calms the storm. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we open up the Word of God this morning, I pray you'd open up our hearts. God, that we would be fed, that who knows, maybe this week, this is a word that we can share with someone who may be experiencing a little bit of panic or fear. God, that we can be the voice of calmness and the voice of faith. Not negating wisdom, but not giving in to fear as well. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, open it up to uh, Mark, actually. Mark chapter 4. I say it like that because over 20 years of full-time ministry, I think this is maybe the fifth or sixth time I've ever referenced the gospel of Mark. I don't know why. I've got nothing against the guy. He's probably a good guy. But I just... Don't seem to go to his gospel very much. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but nothing like the Jesus in the Boat series to bring out a little bit of the gospel of Mark. Uh, when I was younger, I was able to do an amazing thing. I was able to go to Israel on a pilgrimage. How many of you have been able to go to the Holy Land and do a tour there? It's, it's an amazing thing. I would really love to organize a tour from our church. Uh, if we could get 15 to 20 people to commit to go, we could go next February, and I'm pretty sure that I could share uh, the, um, the biblical study part of it with another pastor, and so uh, that would be something really neat to do uh, because it's, it's been a long passion of mine to study the Holy Land and Jesus and everything, but when I was there, I remember uh, they had just finished bringing out of, they caked it in like maple syrup or something. But they, they brought out what was called the Jesus boat. Has anybody ever heard of that? The Jesus boat. And it's, it's most likely not the exact boat that Jesus used. But it is a boat that we know is from the first century AD that is very typical of the kind of fishing boats you would have seen on there. So if we can go, actually go to the previous side, slide real quick. It's that one on the right. And uh, they have it all there, all done up. And you get a sense of the size of the boat, you know, about 20 feet in length and maybe 8 or 9, 10-foot beam, uh, probably more like an 8 or 9-foot beam. And I remember seeing that boat, and, and as we were kind of standing outside the little exhibit they have there, the guide had us look around the lake, and we noticed that the lake is kind of in a depression uh, geologically in, in Israel. And there's sort of high plateaus all around the lake. And to the mountains, or to the, to the north, is the mountain range of which those plateaus are a part of. And he looked and he said, there's Arbel, and there's, you know, there's a whole bunch of these famous canyons. And he said, here's the thing that most people don't realize, is if you look topographically on the Sea of Galilee, you'll see that all of these cabins are like slits going right onto the lake. And so when a weather pattern comes in from the west, these canyons form massive wind tunnels that just blow on the lake, and they can whip up in a matter of hours and turn this lake into a stormy, soupy mess and hit it with enormous force. You might be on the lake and it's kind of peaceful and then a storm would arise and all of a sudden before you can react, you are in gale force winds. The many boats that we know of that are at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, 
bear testimony to the power of a raging storm in the middle of the night or in the middle of the day where there's no one to rescue you and there's nothing you can do to save yourself. Even for the best of swimmers, it's very difficult to swim to shore in these kinds of waves. And 2,000 years ago, even fewer people knew how to swim like we know today. Well, I remember we had, after leaving the Jesus boat, we actually went to this place where you go out on a replica of a, of a first century boat. There's a restaurant there, St. Peter's Restaurant, St. Peter's Fish, all that kind of stuff. But, but you go out on this boat, and so us and our tour, you know, we went out on this boat. There were three of them, and we went on one. And the tour guide did something that was kind of odd. He all of a sudden hoisted. Did this happen with you, Ken? They hoisted the American flag, and they began to sing the Star-Spangled Banner. Now, interestingly enough, I didn't even go with a totally American group. <laughs> you know, uh, We were from an international group because I lived internationally at the times, and so at the time, so this wasn't even a fully American group. Now, and I'll tell you this, in my heart, I was horrified. Now, I am a red, white, and blue American. I love my country. I've always loved my country. It was living out of it for three and a half years that gave me a deep love for our country. When me and my son went to the Rams game last fall, uh, we stood up and we started singing the Star Spangled Banner, and tears are streaming from my eyes as I stood there with 80,000 other people singing the national anthem. And my son's looking at me, Dad, are you okay? Are you okay? You know, and, and all of a sudden, at just the right time, the big, beautiful jets come roaring by, and I just lost it. I became a, I became a mess at that point. Nobody here can question my patriotism. But that day, I was really irked that they thought of us American Christians as American first and Christian second. And I really, I was visibly angry. This was the lake where Jesus walked on water. This was the lake where Jesus spoke to the storm. This was the lake where Jesus produced the miraculous catch of fish. And you want me to sing to America? This isn't New York. This isn't Washington, D.C. And there's no George Washington around here. If those were the tokens, then I would sing to America till my heart's content. But this is the lake where Jesus did amazing things. And it just felt out of place. I almost felt embarrassed as some of my French and Bolivian and Egyptian families were looking at me like, what? Uh, oh, oh, say, can't, you know? It was just embarrassing. So finally, after that debacle was over, I pressed for a worship song. And thankfully, there's one that really people know all around the world. Anybody guess what it was? Amazing Grace. Oddly enough, you don't have to speak English, and for some reason, you know that song. Everybody was singing that song because we were on the lake where Jesus had done some amazing and miraculous things. Again, if you have a Bible, open it up to Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. Remember, this is after one of Jesus' longest days of his life. He spoke a lot of parables. He's healed a lot of people. He's rebuked Pharisees. He's rebuked demons. I mean, this has been a busy day, and it's now evening. It's not in the middle of the night. It's evening. It's, it's, it's evening enough where they can begin to shove off because Jesus has got an appointment with someone else 
that uh, he's being led by God to go to. And so they're going to go there by boat, quickest way, rather than trying to walk around the lake. So it says in verse 35, that, ev- that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Verse 36, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. Now there were other boats with him. And in verse 37, a furious squall came up. That would have been quite common for these people in these parts. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now Jesus was in the stern. That's the back of the boat for those of you who don't know ship parts. Uh, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and they said, Teacher, don't you care? If we drown, and he got up and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified, and they asked each other, who is this? Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey Jesus? Who is this? This morning, I want to look at some poignant statements that really help tell not only the point of this passage, but the encouragement that we have this morning. So if you have a discussion sheet, you can go ahead and flip it over and start filling it in. Just four of these, but four very powerful statements. And the first one is this. Point one is Jesus. It was Jesus who said, let us go. Let us go. Whose idea was it to get in the boat? It was Jesus's, right? It wasn't their idea. They didn't say, hey, Jesus, we got a shortcut. We'll put you in our little boats, and we'll go across the lake. No, it was Jesus who said, let's get into the boat. That is a part of this passage that a lot of people fail to recognize. This was all Jesus' idea. And it was his idea because he knew the test of faith that was going to come. Whose idea was it? that you would be a follower of Jesus. It was his idea. Whose idea was it that in order to follow a God you cannot see, a Jesus you've never met, and believe in a heaven you've never been to, that you would all have to do it by something we call faith? Whose idea was faith? It was Jesus's, just like it was Jesus's idea to get in the boat. Faith is not only Jesus's idea, you can't even really come to God until God makes the first, first move and sort of op- turns the lights on in your heart to receive Jesus by faith. We didn't make up faith. We didn't make up all of the things it takes to follow God. Jesus invented all this and nothing can be more terrifying than being on a boat in the blackness of night as it's taking on water and slowly begins to sink and yet at the end of the story you have to recognize that this terrifying experience that they went through was all jesus's idea put a comma on that one for a moment i remember when we went on a mission trip to Mexico. 
most of the mission trips we went to very safe sanitized places because I had uh, under eight what do you call minors I had minors with me I had high schoolers but one one trip I had high schoolers and older older kids older I call them kids but they're in their 20s and we went down and one girl had came to me and said I want to go with you and I, and I looked at her and I said sweetheart I said I want to take you but I really believe you need to grow before you need to grow a little bit in your faith before you come down this is we're going to do a little bit different this time this isn't going to be just doing VBS with kids this is going to be a little bit more street evangelism and she came back to me she said pastor Tom I just really feel like God is calling me to go and I I sat down and I prayed with her and I felt the Lord change my mind Tom I know yep you're right and in conventional wisdom, all your pastoral instincts are right about this. And 99 out of 100 times, she should not go. But on this one, I want you to make an exception. I got up from that prayer and I said, I have never done this. I may never do it again, but you're on the team. And she's like, yes. You know, she got all excited, all happy. You know. And when we went there, she had a horrible time. She was terrified to go out into the streets terrified of street people uh she'd never she'd been so sheltered she'd never even been near uh, a nightclub or anything like that you know and 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 so i mean she just had a horrible time and i remember when we debriefed you know it was kind of she was just telling everybody a whole church what a horrible time she had da, 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 you know and 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 uh and finally you know we have this meeting with not the pastor but my ministry director myself and her and i finally had to remind her i said hey wait a minute Whose idea was it to go? She's like, well, it wasn't mine. It was yours. I said, uh-uh-uh. Both of us agreed. God led you into this. And I know you had a terrible time, but I believe if you search your heart, there is a way in which you can grow from this and become better and stronger and more confident. And she absolutely did. It took about three years, but she went on another trip with us. And this time, she was the one talking to all the scaredy cats. And she was the one helping them work through their issues of fear versus faith. So never forget, a lot of times when the Lord leads us into a storm, it was his idea to begin with. Point number two, what was their response? Lord, don't you care? God, don't you care? My life is falling apart. I'm falling apart. Everything's falling apart. And God, it just doesn't seem like you care at all. And you start yelling and you get angry. I've had people come and make meetings with me and I'm just like, you know, let's pray about that. And I'll go, you know what, Tom? I, I tried praying about that. God has not answered any prayer about this. We don't need to pray about this. You just need to tell me what to do. I can't. That's beyond my purview. I can, I can speak for God, but I can't become God. And so, you know, we, that's, that's you come into me, we're going to pray. We're going to try to hear God's voice together, you know. And so, but a lot of times, you know what's interesting? We never question God when. When things are go, going well, right? When things are going well, oh, God cares about me. God really cares about me, right? You know, I mean, it's when things are not going well that we start, God, don't you care? Now, I want to tell you something. I want you to think about this. God cared, 
cares about you and cared about you as much the minute before the storm struck as he does the minute after. God's not like a human being where we care a little more one day, but now we're in a bad mood, so we care a little less. And now we're really in a bad mood and we care a little. Oh, we're in a great mood. We just care about everybody. We're buying dinner for everybody. You know, God's not like that. The same awesome infinite love he had for you before the storm happened is the exact same amount that he has for you after. But when the tough time comes, what's the first thing that comes out of Lord Jesus, don't you care that I'm sick? Just as much as a moment ago than when you were well. Lord Jesus, don't you care that my marriage is falling apart? Just as much as when you said I do at the altar. Lord Jesus, don't you care that I have no money? Just as much as a day ago when you did. Lord Jesus, don't you care that I'm all alone? Just as much as when you were in that crowded room. Lord Jesus, don't you care that I just want to give up? Just as much as a moment ago when you couldn't be stopped. That is how God is. He doesn't change like we do. Or like shifting sands. He's consistent. And yet, it's a very fair thing. I think it's in this story because Mark wanted to highlight, this is what we do. And point number three is the best response. Point number three is this. Jesus rises up, speaks to the storm and the waves. What does he say? Peace, be still. Let's say that together. Peace, be still. A little louder. Peace, be still. Not peaceful now. Peace, be still. Peace, be still. You know what my observation of this is? What does Jesus rebuke? He rebukes the storm, not the followers. A lot of times when we're yelling at God, God, why don't you care? God, why aren't you doing this for me? God, where are you? God, we expect that when we come to our senses, God's going to say, now why did you ever question me? (laughs) We do, you know. We walk because we know that's what our parents might have done. That's what we might do. But the fact of the matter is this. When Jesus stood up, he did not rebuke them for being scared they were going to drown. Instead, he rebuked the storm for scaring them. Isn't that awesome? I don't even know if I would do that. To be honest with you, I would probably have been a lot harder on the disciples in that moment than Jesus was. Just another example where I say, thank God I'm not Jesus. But Jesus takes this, I find it really encouraging that Jesus rebuked the storm, not the disciples. In fact, to them, he just said, why are you so afraid? Why you got so little faith? Come on. Implicit in those words is a lesson we all need to learn. The disciples were afraid because they were used to being in control of their life. They were used to being in control of many things. And now they are out on a lake in a raging storm. And if there's one thing they realize, they have no control. If Jesus doesn't do anything, they're sunk. And let me tell you this. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, 
God will put you in a life situation where there is absolutely nothing you can do about it. You're in the middle of the lake in a raging storm. And if God doesn't come through for you, you're sunk. In fact, I commend the disciples. They, in the end, did the right thing. They woke Jesus up. They shook the guy, the one guy that had the chance to save their lives. They knew where to go. How many people do I run into? They're in a storm in their life, and it's raging all around them. And rather than ask Jesus for help, they'd rather sink with the boat than ask Jesus for help. I said that once to somebody, and they said, yeah, will Jesus sink with them? No. He'd wake up and walk on water to the shore while you're sinking down to the bottom. <laughs> Point number three is four. I'm sorry, four. It went a little quicker than I thought. You know, you write these. Anyway, none of you, I'm sure none of you are. <laughs> point number four, and this is really an extension of point number three, where Jesus says, have you no faith? Faith is a gift that keeps growing inside of us. When Jesus said, have you still no faith, the answer for the disciples is yes and no. No, they didn't have the, they, the no part of their faith was they got so afraid. The yes part of their faith was that they woke up Jesus, right? They had faith in Jesus. They truly believed in him, but their faith, though real, was not yet fully grown. This is where we go back to point one, where Jesus knew that this storm was coming. Jesus knew this was going to be a great lesson, and Jesus knew that there was an opportunity to grow their faith through this storm. And how do you get the faith that enables you to endure through the storms of life? The only answer is to get in the boat with Jesus and ride with him wherever he takes you. Listen to this. Where there are no storms, there is no danger. But where there is no danger, well, there is no fear. Where there is no fear, there is no testing. Where there is no testing, there's no learning. Where there is no learning, there's no growing. And if there is no growing, there is no faith. I'll say it again. Where there are no storms, there are no danger. We like that. Where there's no danger, no fear. Come on, keep preaching it. Where there is no fear, there's no testing. Amen. But where there is no testing, there's no learning. Wait. Whoa, 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 whoa. Where there is no learning, there's no growing. Ah, I could grow. I could grow. And where there is no growing, there's no faith. No. Because if you don't have faith, what's going to flood your heart in the middle of a storm? Fear. Become shorter than I already am. (laughs) I'll just do this. How's this? All right. So, storms of life. (laughs) Did everybody get a picture of it? Okay. The storms of life, they're not a detour. They're not a mistake. They're not some trick or trap by God, and they are not sent to destroy you. 
The storms are sent by God to a degree, yes, so that you will reach the end of yourself. And in that end, that you, see, here's the thing we don't realize. Jesus wants you to get to the point where you say to him, don't you care? Jesus wants you to get to the point. God, don't you care that I'm perishing? Jesus wants to get to the point. God, I'm going to wrestle with you because I'm going through things right now. And I'm going to wrestle with you and you will not leave this place until you bless me like Jacob did. God wants to bring us to that point, but he wants to bring us to that point, And in that moment, not before it, but in it, when the water seems like it's about to engulf you and everything you hold dear is lost, it's often in that moment where it is do or die that all of a sudden, peace, be still. Something, and I've heard people say this to me, Tom, something happened. And what I was all freaked out about just worked itself out. And I look at him and I smile and I say, it didn't just work itself out. You cried out to God. And although you couldn't hear it and couldn't see all the ways it was going to happen, he said, peace be still. And now you have peace. Amen? So we come back to our original question. Who told them to get into the boat in the first place? It was Jesus. Did Jesus know about the storm? Probably. Did he warn them in advance? No. Why do you think he didn't warn them in advance? The lesson would have been lost on them if they knew it was coming, right? And what is the lesson? Either we choose to believe that the Lord sent the storm for his own purposes, or we will choose to believe that the Lord has abandoned us or that there is no God to save us and we'll be left to our own devices. If you're in a storm in this very moment, know that it is probably not there by accident. And in those moments when you feel utterly alone and forgotten by God, know this, he did not intend to hurt you. Even though you feel like screaming because the pain is so great, you are not alone just because it may feel that way now. Believe it or not, there was a point in my life where I was jobless, friendless, peopleless, homeless, living out of the back of my S10 truck. And I couldn't get a hold of my pastor, even though there were only 70 people in the church. His schedule was booked for the next however many weeks. So I waited two weeks. But during that two weeks, I felt tossed about in a storm. And I remember when I finally met with my pastor, he said to me this, and I've never forgotten these words. He said, Tom, you may have lost everything, but you haven't lost Jesus. And with those words, I walked out of that office, not with fear, not with anger, but with peace. This morning, before we close, I'd like you to examine perhaps where some of your storms may be right now. We can't pick when they come often. They come when they come. <laughs> but we can choose how to deal with the storms when they come. 
Either we can have faith in Jesus and call out to him knowing that the storm can be used for his purpose or take the road that so many do. Feel abandoned by God, stop believing in God and feel like we're left to our own devices. Unfortunately, at some point, a certain wave is going to crash over that boat and sink it. May not be in that moment, but it's coming. The offer of Jesus Christ is this. Wake him up. Plead with him. Shout with him. Shake him. He wants to be shaken by us. Tell him, don't you care? And wait for it. Wait for it. The peace be still is on its way. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, let's just say this together. Say, Lord Jesus, I commit to waking you up when the storms of life come upon me. And in this season of coronavirus, we come before you knowing that you care and knowing you will speak to this storm, this virus, saying, Peace, be still. In Jesus' name, amen.